did the Lakers benefit from their free agent signings? Can the Clippers keep up by adding Serge Ibaka? Have the Bucks figured out the right cast around Giannis? The only question left is, say it with me, you win. Hey, sports fans, Coach Nick here, and welcome to the B-Ball Breakdown Podcast. As always, I'm joined by Jared Weiss of The Athletic. Jared, thanks for joining me today. Oh, we got a we got a lot to talk about. This is I feel like this is the perfect day to do it. You know, we still have some of free agency left, but it seems like pretty much every team is just about set with who they are for the next season. Yeah. And uh, there's a lot to go over. And as people are winding their way to family uh, Thanksgivings and hopefully are doing it safely uh, and following CDC guidelines, then uh, I'll be OK with it. Uh, so let's break into it. Should we start with the Lakers? Let's start with the left coast and we can go east. Sure. Yeah, we might as well do both of those L.A. teams, but we can start with the Lakers, who have a healthy amount of turnover uh, that I'm actually pretty, pretty, pretty happy with for uh, for a championship team. I like that they didn't they didn't feel any sort of sense of you know sticking with what had worked and stasis and stuff like that. I really liked Rob Polinka. He had some comment. I forget that kind of really touched on that that I thought was very poignant. And actually, and what didn't sound like some sort of ridiculous reading of 18th century poetry either, which I thought was very out of character for Rob Polinka. But I, I think they did really well, even though I have a lot of problems with uh, with targeting Montrez Harrell uh, because of his limitations in the playoffs and not even really worrying about how last year's playoffs went because we know he was mourning his grandmother was away for a long time. So whatever um, we or whatever to uh, to writing off what happened, not whatever to the tragedy that was sad. But so the point is, is that for them to get him for a six man salary and keep him in the role where he belongs and then put Marcus Solon as their starting center, who doesn't have a lot left in the tank, but he's very good at the stuff that Trez is very bad at. They did a, an awesome job of rebuilding that front line. Oh, I, I agree. Well, because it's interesting. We'll talk about the front line first before we go to the backcourt. But um, yeah, I mean, when I just did a video, I just dropped it today, where we, we look at the differences between Gasol and what they got from JaVale, for instance, or even Dwight. And it's so night and day. It's crazy because what he gives them as a passer is so much more beyond anything they've ever gotten out of that position. And in theory, it will, it will allow LeBron to kind of, you know, take it easy a little bit more if he wants to and rest. Now, the minutes that McGee got was something like 16, 17 a game. If that's the what they plug Gasol into, which is probably what he should do, it is at least 10 minutes less than the lowest he's ever played in his career. And I'm interested to see. He's going to be 36, so that might be perfect for him. He might actually accept that. I imagine he might, especially if they're winning a lot and they're playing good basketball. And so that might actually get him through a season without breaking down. So I'm excited to see that. And, um, you know, if they play them all together, then, you know, Gasol should be getting he could set up LeBron with nice passes. He could set up AD with nice passes and then he can pick and pop and hit threes, which they had never seen except for the occasional JaVale uh, <laughs> excitement. So I'm really curious to see if they can keep Gasol healthy. That that certainly it's radically changes the way they can operate their offense. It's really cool that. You know, they're a team that likes to run a lot of horn stuff that they can have LeBron or AD play make from that pinch post area. 
you have the guy that's like the master at that now in Marcus Soul. And it, it's the idea of Marcus Soul playing with the ball over his head in the high post and flinging it to guys like AD or LeBron cutting. You have Wes Matthews and Schroeder and KCP and Caruso, all those guys cutting around, popping and flaring, stuff like that. I think this team's, I think they took a big step forward offensively while not really losing that much defensively because Gasol, he still can defend pick and roll drop coverage really well. They still have the personnel that they can do drop coverage and chase over the top of screens or ice if they want to. And he protects the rim pretty well still, and he rebounds pretty well at this point still. So I think he gives you a lot more than what JaVale gave you, where JaVale was like this super active rim runner and a huge sprinting fast break guy. But they already have guys like Kuzma. They have LeBron. They have AD. They already have enough tall threats in transition that they don't need their center to be a threat in transition. They need their center to be a smart defender and to be a presence near the rim. And then Mark gives them a stretching ability that if he, I know he shot really poorly for some reason in the playoffs and I covered, I covered the, the you know Raptors second round series and Gasol was terrible in that series for some reason, except for crunch time defense. His crunch time defense was usually pretty incredible, but he couldn't hit a single shot for some reason in that series. I'm going to assume that was just a, a rough stretch, but for the most part, his numbers were really good. So them having, a pick and pop center now besides Anthony Davis that that actually really changes the dimension of what they can do because last year they th- they really thrived by having somebody living in the dunker spot and really playing well in the dunker spot or going to micro ball but if Gasol is shooting well they don't have to do that at all and then of course when they have Harrell in the game Harrell's like one of the most scary guys to imagine in the dunker spot in the league so mm-hmm. they I think they're probably better than they were last season well here's the thing what they can do because now we can talk about Schruder I'll, I'll pronounce it the, in the German vernacular um, he comes in and uh, is their bench scoring should lead the league pretty pretty easily as far as I can tell when you have Schruder you have Harrell and you have Kuzma coming off the bench um, that's potent. They could score, you know, 50 points a game, 40 points a game from the bench alone from those guys. And that would also lead to more rest for LeBron and the kind of stuff that he wants to do anyway, as he goes through another season, as he gets toward the end of his career. So, uh, I'm really anxious to see now, again, those guys, uh, won't necessarily defend that well. Uh, and he can mix and match and try and find some lineups with those three guys that could kind of cover some stuff. Shruta isn't the, isn't, isn't bad on defense, but we've seen, I think it'll be good. Yeah, okay, well, I'll give him good, and, and we know, but we think you know Kuzma is is depending on what position he's playing. He's you know he actually did a pretty good job, I think, in the playoffs, not being exposed as a bad defender, which is something. Um, and so, and then certainly Harrell has had his issues, uh, especially if it's going to be a bigger center. But I think they could outscore them, and so what's the difference if they're going to outscore the, their counterparts by you know eight or nine points, and they can extend leads that the starters build? That's a total win. They'd take that all day, and they'd win a title with that. And they can put if I mean if they really want. I assume Harold's going to be out there when LeBron's on the on the bench because it gives LeBron a break from having to barrel through the lane. But let's say you make sure that you're out that you have LeBron or AD out there at all times with Harold. You always have a fail safe of somebody that can rotate and clean stuff up at the rim. I mean, AD and LeBron are two of the best guys to just rotate out of nowhere and protect the rim when something fails of our generation, basically. So. I feel like the roster, once again, because last year, this roster looked like it had kind of everything that could cover up for whatever weaknesses it had. It just didn't really have a lot of enough high-end talent to win. And we saw, you know, maybe 
this season, everyone's just a lot better and the Lakers can't just dominate the way they dominated last year. But we saw that LeBron and AD throughout the year are going to be dominant enough that they can make up for a lack of significant talent. And this team, I think their their strengths play off each other even better than last year's teams uh, uh, did. Yeah, and a testament to uh, Frank Vogel, who I really was impressed the way he. It's not like he designed and they, like they executed these amazing intricate sets and did all these different you know timing and whatever. But the way that they constructed the team and the way that they were able to fit into those roles the way they had to was worked out perfectly for them. So guys like KCP and Caruso and Rondo uh, all all significantly helped and, and made them better than maybe they were individually. Um, you know, and I made a big deal about Rondo being. He was so important to their. He, he's probably the third best player they had in, in the playoffs, and then in, as instrumental as anybody to winning the title. So they're going to get rid of him and his dimes, and that's the one thing that that um, Schroeder simply won't really do. He doesn't throw them like that. He he looks to score a lot off more often than he does to give it up. But he's a much better shooter, uh, at least in the in the regular season. And hope, we'll see if that continues. I'd imagine he'll get a lot of open shots playing off of AD and LeBron. Uh, Rondo actually looking at the numbers. Rondo played uh, the three man lineup of Rondo, AD, and uh, LeBron averaged a little over three minutes per game total across the That's season. It? Yeah, wow. Uh, in the regular season, I you know what I should have oh, checked, okay. checked the playoffs. I bet you it goes to like six. Yeah, right? it's probably it's probably way more. Um, and maybe if while you're talking, I'll look it up. But um, either way, uh, I would imagine that's what he's going to get. So he'll be able to get moments where he is feeding off the big guys, but then also eating for himself when they're on the bench. So, uh, I mean, they have to be put at the top of the list for uh, the title title favorites. Yeah. And I mean, Rondo, I don't I'll look it up while we're talking, but uh, I would imagine that his three point shooting was really high in the playoffs or at least in the last couple rounds. It was 40, yeah. Yeah. So like that's not what he does in the regular season. We know that's not sustainable. That was a great hot streak. Maybe maybe you could reasonably expect him to shoot at a much higher clip in the playoffs. But either way, we know that Schroeder is a reliable three level scorer in a way that Rondo isn't quite at that level. So they don't they don't need elite passing out of their point guard. They need they need a point guard that can run some pick and roll and force defenses to go over. Like they, they just, they need somebody else that they can count on to actually run offense. And Rondo was an amazing off ball guard. And Rondo obviously is incredible at bringing the ball down the floor and just completely like improvising a brilliant play set on the move. Like he can do all that stuff, but Truder's the kind of guy that you can like generally run offense through 20 minutes a night and, and come away with it. Well, yeah, absolutely. and then, you know, Caruso is going to continue to improve, I assume. I'm pretty confident that he's going to keep getting better. Wes Matthews for Danny Green, I think, is a very solid replacement. Like, both both of them are pretty limited at this point. Um, Danny Green, as much as I cape for him, he statistically is not shooting that well in the in the finals, even though we, even though we hold him up as a legendary final shooter. But, like, I don't think his shooting is that much better than Wes Matthews. And, I don't, and his defense is still very good, but I don't think it's – that much better than West Matthews at this point, so I think West is a solid replacement. Eh, um, I'll I'll push I'll push back on that quickly. I, I don't think West is even going to play that many minutes at all anyway. Um, I, he'll be somewhere between, you know, uh, Jared Dudley. Twenty? <laughs> no, I don't. Th- I don't think he's going to get twenty. We'll see. Really? He he didn't even play last year for the the Bucks. He didn't play. Let me look real quick. It was very low when I was looking at it. Um, uh, I'm on the wrong page. 
Let me go back. Uh, by the way, the Rondo, uh, uh, Anthony Davis, LeBron trio in the playoffs played almost 10 minutes a game. So there you go. It was okay, a big bump. But, um, oh, you know what? He did get 24 minutes a game. I was looking at his, how many points he scored, how many. He didn't get very many opportunities to shoot. He, he shot really poorly. So I, I just don't, I, I would be surprised if he got 20 a game, uh, that, that many. But we'll That's see. That's all they need for him. That's all they need. Because uh, Caruso's, yeah. Caruso's going to play 20 to 25 a night in the playoffs. KCP, you know, is going to be their guy playing 35 yeah. plus. And Kuzma, he's, he's going to be in his fourth year. And I and based on some of the strides uh, that we saw last year, I expect him to, if he's still on the roster, to continue to yeah. find his way as a role player to a degree. And I've I've been a fan of Taylor Horton Tucker since he was in college or since he was in high school. Uh, college isn't that early. Um, and I think he's going to step into a decent three and D role this year. I think he's going to be that of something that's very important to maintaining title contention when you're a team like this is. Hitting on a late late first round. I think he was in a first round. Might have been second. Actually, no, he fell to the second round. I thought he should have been first round. But hitting on one of these guys late in the draft, just like they did with Caruso, who who like their skill sets didn't seem like they were going to hold up after college. But they have that special size. He has that ridiculous like plus like 12 inch wingspan. He can shoot it. He has the ability to fight through contact and attack. I think he's going to turn into a useful player for them this year. And we know they're certainly going to count on him because I don't see Alfonso McKinney being the one that fills that role. If he's, I can't even remember if he, they might've waved him actually. I can't even remember at this point. You might be wondering why I got into coaching. Well, one reason is instead of training to increase my skill level, I pushed my body to the extreme to overcome my skill deficit with sheer effort, and it led to a series of debilitating injuries that I still deal with to this day. Relief from all these muscle aches was hard to come by, but when I discovered Theragun, it was an instant solution that allowed me to stop medicating to avoid the pain. Theragun is a handheld percussive therapy device that releases your deepest muscle tension using a scientifically calibrated combination of depth, speed, and power. And now as quiet as an electric toothbrush. I've saved a lot of money by not needing to go for professional massage therapy anymore. And it's so convenient, I can use it whenever I have a few minutes. In fact, Using the Theragun for two minutes on each muscle group just before bed has allowed me to sleep much more soundly and relaxed. Try Theragun for 30 days. There is no substitute for the Theragun Gen 4 with an OLED screen, personalized Theragun app, and the quiet and power you need. It starts at only $199. So head over to my special link at theragun.com slash bball right now and get your Gen 4 Theragun today. That's Theragun.com slash B-Ball. Theragun.com slash B-Ball. Let's move on to the Clippers because we want to talk about a little bit uh, about some, a couple other teams before we run out of time. So the Clippers uh, did some other moves. They certainly, they first of all, they got rid of uh, Doc Rivers, who ran screaming to Philadelphia. Uh, they lost Harrell, but they gained Serge Ibaka. And then they flipped uh, Shamit for Kennard. Uh, I'm very, very intrigued by this because certainly Ibaka would probably take care I mean, just as much as Gasol is a difference between uh, from like JaVale, uh, Ibaka and Harrell are also kind of polar opposites as well because now you got a guy who can pop and, and spread the floor. Um, it doesn't post up at all. So he's completely more of an outside guy pretty much. And then defensively, he's better. Um, so, you know, I, I can't I don't know how much I want to say how much better, but he's certainly he's certainly. Can we say much better? We'll say much better. Is that fair? Much better than who? Than Harold. 
I don't think it's even it's not even conversation. Harrell's I mean, a terrible defender in almost every aspect. While Abaka is still one of the best pivot guys in the league, he's still a very good pick and roll defender. He can still handle switching onto most wings. I I think this. I think it's a dramatic improvement and one of the best moves of the entire offseason. Yeah. I, and, don't I, for, yeah. and don't forget, he's, re, he's also replacing Jermichael Green. Okay, Jermichael fair Green enough. was the guy that, that filled that role. Everybody in the organization was so frustrated that Doc wouldn't play Jermichael Green. And it drove all them nuts because he's like, two years ago, Jermichael was like a huge part of why they were successful in the postseason. And they almost won that series against the uh against the uh, Warriors in, in the first round. It was because, like, Jermichael Green was incredible as a stretch five for them. And Ibaka is, I think, a noticeably better version of, of Jermichael. He, I mean, so yeah. it's a huge upgrade. And Ibaka, uh, he's much – okay, he's much better than Harrell. I'm, I'm concerned. I, I'm, I don't know if he's not – I don't think he's as effective as his reputation is these days. But he doesn't have to worry about, like, guarding post-ups too much because nobody really posts up anymore. And that was always one issue I had with him. And uh, But, okay, so either way, I, I mean – I think if, uh, again, the Clippers were the guys who I kept thinking were going to win the whole thing last year until it blew up. Uh, and they kind of put themselves right back into that conversation now where, uh, you know, I like what they did. And they certainly are, you know, should be at the very top of the Western Conference again to compete with the Lakers. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty clear the Lakers are the better team, obviously. But that just figuring out who was going to close games at the five for them was one of their biggest problems the entire season last year and i think abaka is the perfect answer for it although abaka was not closing games usually for toronto toronto kept sticking with marcus soul and i think that was mostly out of habit and I, it seemed like abaka was the one that clearly was playing better in the at least in the second round and should have been closing so maybe there is something that nick nurse knows that we don't know but i think the results spoke for itself um and then other big things they did they kept Marcus Morris, who, I mean, they're paying him more than he's worth, but you're a team that's already capped out and you're spending bird rights, and you have to you have to be good this year because the likelihood of Kawhi and Paul George leaving is really slim. But if it's a cluster F again this year, then that's like the one way it could happen. So you got to overpay to keep Mook, and I think that was the right call. I don't um, know. I I think that might be the worst signing of the of this free agency. Really? I don't. I don't. I don't know if I like the way he fits in this team. Now, in the numbers, don't back that up. He. I mean, at least in the regular season when he got there, uh, the, the that starting five was great. Uh, and I'll have to check it again. But I remember when I was looking at it back then, they were blowing everybody out. It was looking great. But I don't know. I don't know. I just, you know, listen, nothing's perfect. You're never going to get like absolute perfect role. That guy fits in like a glove all the time like that, especially when you have two other guys who are max players like this. So, um, but something is eating at my craw and I hope it doesn't come back to, to, to hurt them. But I do feel like that's a problem. And I just don't know if they're going to be able to sustain. And I'm talking about like locker room. I'm talking about chemistry. I'm talking about some things that might be beyond the numbers. And uh, we'll see. Mook, I mean, I covered Mook for a couple of years in Boston, and he was both like a weird figure initially when locker room chemistry wasn't really an issue, but then seemed to be kind of the rock that held things together when locker room chemistry was an issue. And, you know, as bad as that 18-19 season was in Boston, one, it could have gotten way worse than it did. And I think Mook was one of the main reasons why it didn't turn into a complete colossal collapse as opposed to just being a really disappointing flame out so he he could be a very positive force in the locker room and he's the kind of guy that he has like like he's the og for like some of these younger guys and they absolutely love him to death and like worship him and we saw 
all the young Celtics, Jason Tatum, like Rob Williams, I think a lot of the young Celtics that were there a couple of years ago, they were all congratulating Mook when he got his new deal, like on Twitter. So Mook has some like massive fans around the league, especially teammates. But one point that I do agree with you on is that so Mook is a is a solid two way player that complements the core of Kawhi and Paul really well. But I think they would be better off if they had that kind of player at point guard or maybe even shooting guard as opposed to. I guess, you know, swing forward, whatever you want to call what Marcus Morris is at this, at this point, because they could definitely play big and have Mook in there at the four or even do a micro ball with Mook at the five. And that's very valuable. But they have for their guard rotation, they have Pat Bev, Lou Will, which I'm surprised both those guys are still there. Um, Lou Kennard and Terrence Mann. So that's their guard rotation. None of those guys at this point are as complete a player as Mook is. And so there's kind of a comp, there's kind of a compromise being made depending on who you have in there. But what's good is, you know, Pat Bev, because he's an off ball floor stretching point guard, he's like a three and D point guard. You can put him out there next to somebody like Lou will, and he can guard up a position. Um, you can put him out there next to Luke Kennard, who's a solid pick and roll playmaker and a great off ball shooter, assuming his knee holds up this year. That's obviously the huge question. Uh, Terrence Mann, I really like his game. I just I think he's a couple years away from being ready. And then I'm surprised Lou Will's still there. I mean, I had so many people after the season tell me Lou Will was going to get traded. Um, I guess maybe time. when yeah, there's still time. Um, there's probably no there's like no market for him though. That's a problem. He's the kind of guy that you could see get traded. Uh, probably like whatever the equivalent of February is. So whatever the trade deadline is, I guess in March. Mm-hmm. Um, although who's going to want to trade for him? if the team that's contending is trading him away. Although I guess you can do one of those deals where it's like, all right, you need a wing. I need a point guard. We could just swap that kind of thing. So um, it's, it's possible it it can happen, but I do like them uh, trading Kennard for Shamit because I heard Shamit was pretty frustrated with his role in, in LA. Although I feel like that could have been fixed with a new coach. Um, But Kennard has, I mean, we've talked about Shamit, more on this pod than maybe any other pod that exists. But uh, Kennard is someone who we like already is a, is like a really good shooting guard at this point. He's like a good starting shooting guard at this point. He has a pretty complete shooting guards game. And the only issue for him really has just been, he's not that impactful of a defender the way that Shamit was at least in his first year. And his knee has been a concern. And I don't know if they're going to want to pay him if his knee doesn't really, you know, stabilize this year. Uh, all good things, so we'll have to see how that plays out. Let's get to another uh, team before we get too long in the tooth here. How about the Bucks? Can we talk about them for a second? Ooh, okay, go for it. Well, they brought in Drew Holiday, and they uh, they got rid of Eric Bledsoe, so that's a win for me. I'm I'm ready to go and ready to roll uh, with them. We see some footage of Giannis shooting, which um, you know th- there's a little bit of a difference where he's kind of you know cranking in the elbow underneath the ball a little earlier. Uh, I don't know if I like it any better, but we'll see. Um, but other than that, uh, I think that they're kind of bringing most people back. They got, they had a whole thing fall apart, which by the way, loose lips, you know, you don't want to let, uh, your free agent stuff get out to before the free agency signing because they, I mean, the idea of being able to get Bogdanovich from Sacramento and, and the fact that Bogdanovich wouldn't want to go and get every open shot he'd ever desire is insane and play on the best team in the East. It's insane to me. I, I can you explain why he, why, how that fell apart? Uh, it was just because of the tampering. Um, it was because somebody somewhere leaked it to Woj early. Um, according to, um, I've had I've, I've heard a lot of people tell me a lot of things, but the the one that stuck out, someone else 
told me that they talked to a GM and that GM called whoever leaked it the biggest effing idiots in the entire NBA. Um, and teams are furious with Sacramento right now, as they always are. Um, but someone told me specifically that um, that everyone like understood this year that you had to be as hush-hush as humanly possible on all these deals getting done a week early. And somebody didn't get the memo in that deal. And it screwed everybody else over. And so they were... They want not only do they want the deal to be canceled, which is basically what happened, um, but they want like further penalties, and everybody really wants, especially Sacramento, to really pay the price. Right. Well, um, so wait, I, it wasn't the league who told them that 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 deal could not go through, was it? Not officially, but I'm sure. Okay. I'm sure they did quietly, unofficially, but they. I think they knew that. I mean, it seems like it was Bogdanovich's camp pulled out because Bogdanovich didn't want the league to cancel the deal once it happens after the market's already done. And then he's left with no money. So he was the one that pulled out and that's why he didn't go to Milwaukee in the end, even if they could have found a way to calm everything down was because he was just worried that if they, if he ended up going to Milwaukee in the end and they did the deal that the league was going to cancel it. So that's why he ended up in Atlanta and it's, I'm pretty sure he was going to get like 14 mil or 15 mil a year. While Atlanta paid him, I think seventeen to eighteen, so they they gave him a they gave him a nice little extra ten mil or so total in the contract. So he definitely he got just enough that it kind of made it worthwhile. And wait, can we confirm that they did not match the offer sheet from the Hawks? The uh, it's still as of us recording, it's still up in the air. I've heard that it's not going to happen, but okay. who knows? Yeah, now if, which... if they're smart, they if they're smart, they don't keep him and they extract something out of Atlanta to to. Uh, to get it done. Okay. Well, we'll see. I, I, I do like what Atlanta is doing as well on a, on a side note. Maybe we can sneak them in at the end here. But Sure. Um, but, you know, the biggest thing I thought with, with me, aside from just Giannis's shooting uh, or lack of shooting outside of nine feet, whatever it is, is uh, was, was Bledsoe. And, and relying on him as the third wheel um, it just really frustrated me. And I think it finally frustrated enough Bucks fans so that maybe they'll apologize to me eventually for my <laughs> analysis uh, over the last several years. Uh, I love uh, that they brought in Bryn Forbes. I think it's a low-key great move. Um, I think he's the kind of guy that's going to get a lot of open threes for days. Uh, and he has proven himself, in my mind at least, to be a really good shooter from bat, from the three-point line. Uh, very solid, has the pedigree from you know training under Pop and, and et al. And uh, so I think that's a great pickup. And also Torrey Craig, another guy they bring in, um, just another good defender uh, who can play the game and is smart and has a lot of experience deep into the playoffs. So I, I think they did a pretty good job. In fact, I'm happy. Yeah, and Craig, he gives them the ability to uh, keep Giannis off the main guy and allow Giannis to continue to be a roamer on yeah. on defense. I know that became a big talking point during the playoffs about how Giannis doesn't guard the top guy, but a big part of that is that when Giannis doesn't have to deal with guarding the top guy, he gets to play center field and blow up everything. So like that's why he was defensive player of the year last year. Um, but so Craig, he's just he's someone that they know can do that and. He can. He's not. He's not a floor spacer, but he at least is a smart cutter and a hard, hard nosed rebounder. So to get him for as cheap as they got him, that was pretty good. And what I do like is that they did lose Bogdanovich, and that hurts a lot. They do at least get to keep Divincenzo, and they are able to sign Bryn Forbes for super cheap. But they also brought in DJ Augustine. Yes, and DJ Augustine has had a few good years in Orlando, 
being a pull-up pick-and-roll maestro. And so he's not nearly the – he's not going to be as effective of a pick-and-roll player as Bogdanovich is because of Bogdanovich's size and because Bogdanovich can at least defend wings competently. And to have a pick-and-roll playmaker that's offending wings as opposed to a mediocre defender at the point like Augustine, that's a lot more valuable. So – but they're also they also be between Giannis, Middleton, and Lopez, and of course Andrew Holiday. They have the personnel to deal with having a weak link in the offensive chain. So, um, and actually, I guess Augustine in this system, if they continue to use the drop system for the most part, I think it's a, it's easy enough for him to execute, even if he's not nearly as good at it as Drew or DiVincenzo or Bledsoe was. So um, that that really helps because don't forget they lost George Hill too, and George Hill. I thought George Hill probably could have won six man of the year last year. I had him as third in my, in my voting. Um, I mean, the dude shot like what? 47% from three played really good defense across multiple, multiple positions. They definitely lost some depth for sure. And right. that hurt them. But, but I, yeah, but I do like Augustine there. If they have to replace, you know, Bledsoe and, um, and Hill, Augustine's a good, good guy to plug in there, and they'll get decent minutes from him uh, if he still has got something left in the tank, which I, I'm assuming he does. So, sure. um, yeah, I, I think that Devincenzo yeah. gets better this year. Obviously, right. you know, he continues to grow, and then obviously Drew Holiday is so damn good that he probably is better than George Hill and Eric Bledsoe combined. So, yeah, and then I guess we'll, it does work out, and we'll see. You know, the, the seat was got to be pretty damn hot for Coach Budenholzer at this point. So this was probably the year he has to do it, which I guess it would be get to the finals. Uh, if they don't get yeah. to the finals, I'd be very worried about his seat. Sure. And then they have they brought in Bobby Portis. They still have Brooke on that big deal. Is that is that bad? Like uh, Brooke Brooke didn't shoot well last year, and if he's not hitting his threes, it's just like Marcus Sol. He loses he loses a ton of value if he's not hitting that shot. Yeah, but he still protects the rim, and he's still a threat. Like you know, they're gonna have to space to some degree. It might be a, like a half a step closer to the basket because he's not shooting well, but. Uh, I don't know, if I do a really quick look up here, I feel like I, I want to say it's more of an anomaly that he didn't shoot well than, than the fact that he shot well was an anomaly. Uh, but, you know, he's, he shot, what, 30, 35%, 35%, 36%, 37% I'm rounding. So he had three years of average three-point shooting-ish. So I would think that last year's 31% was more of an anomaly than not. So I, I, I bet you he gets back to that. And if, he, if he's hitting the 35% and he's taking five, six a game, that's enough to bring that center out uh, as, not, as much as they need him to. Um, and there are times when it's just not fair. I mean, there are times a couple of seasons ago he was hitting like dribble step-back threes. Yeah. You know, and so I, there's no reason for me to believe that it's going to completely go away forever. Uh, he's only 31. So I, I anticipate him being, again, another one of those X factors that makes it too unfair. But it makes it unfair in the regular season. And I can't believe he's only 31. Yeah. And not only is he only 31, he's he hasn't had an injured season since 2014. He's been fully healthy ever since then. Like he's still, I, I think of him as like this over the hill guy, but he's actually still got another, you know, three or four years left of his prime, probably considering the way he plays his game. His game is not, mm-hmm. it's definitely not predicated on tremendous movement and bounciness. Like the guy's already pretty sluggish as is. So yeah. And he that shot contract almost, actually isn't as bad as I thought it would and be. He, and he shot about 40% in the playoffs on five attempts. So he, he, Did he? Oh, okay. He, his that's, stroke that's was there when they, when they needed it, at least, uh, you know, in, in a good enough volume. So and he averaged 15.8 points a game. I'm a little bit surprised by that. Um, it might be worth examining exactly what went wrong with the Bucks because uh, it seemed like they had the pieces enough to get to the finals. But, uh, you know, the Heat were there 
where they, uh, really did a number on them. And then obviously Giannis got hurt for one of those games or, uh, or one and a half of those games. But should we touch upon well, Atlanta real quick before we move on to the? I just have one more question on Milwaukee for yeah. uh, just what's your impression of considering the changes they've made where offensively they have a more composed point guard and drew that they can trust more than Bledsoe to run run a lot of offense. Assuming DiVincenzo takes another good step forward and becomes a bigger threat on, on the ball as well, do you change up significantly the way the offense and the defense works? Um, assuming Giannis is pretty close to the same, and I'm assuming they're probably going to have to lighten a little bit of the load on Giannis this year and not have his usage and his play style be so extremely over the top this year. Well, I, I've been on the record for a long time about how, you know, the way they play defense really irks me. Uh, I don't like the way they help. Uh, they die. They crash into the paint so much, helping one pass away, giving up all those threes. So, but what do I know? Because they're always at the very top of the league in defensive rating in the regular season. So as I'm calling this up right now, I kind of want to know they went from the playoffs. So there was 102.5 in the regular season. And in the playoffs, it went to, uh, where are the Bucks? Um, wait, I don't see them. Hang on. Bucks. Do you see? Let's see. Bucks. Bucks. Oh, it went down to, it went to 107.3. So a five-point difference. Uh, that was still ranked fourth in the playoffs amongst playoff teams, but um, I don't think you're going to see too many other playoff teams drop five uh, rating points in the defensive side uh, and, and be successful. And I think that's indicative of what was going on there because they're prepared. They know how to develop those shots. It's not. They have plenty of time to prepare for that. So that really is the one thing that kind of makes me uh, really troubled. I would love to see – I mean, listen, they kind of solved the things with, with, um, with Giannis not being able to shoot at all um, and all the different uh, – the way they were crashing in on him in the regular season. But again, when you see them wall up with three players in the, in the, in the uh, transition game – and then he can't get to the basket there, and then they set up an offense, and then it would bog down again. Um, you know, I don't know. I'm, I, I think that the defensive thing is one thing they should probably change uh, over anything. Uh, the Bucks ended up being 109.1 in the playoffs for their offensive rating versus the regular season, which was um, – 111.9. So that didn't drop off that much. That's probably within line what you expect for a playoff uh, team. So I think it's a defense. Yeah, they should. They got to stop helping one pass away, stop giving up so many damn three-pointers. Even if they think it's so like the bad shooters, I just think it's you get into that in that mode and then you get screwed in the playoffs. So so I guess with pick-and-roll coverage, would you start defending up to touch against you know, good pick and roll shooters. I mean, their their defense worked great against really good pick and high pick and roll teams. And the whole thing was that Miami, they just put on this master class where they they changed their offensive scheme to be whatever the nightmare that it would be for <laughs> the opposing team would be. So, like, I mean, they just Milwaukee was very rigid in doing like ama- being amazing at what they the one thing they do best. And then they just went up against a team that's a complete chameleon that can do whatever he needs to win, and that worked. And like it was like they just like face any team. Like Miami had one of the great playoff runs from a game planning perspective that we've had like in the last decade. Oh uh, yeah, let's give all the credit to Spo and 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 the players and for for executing too. Um, but I don't know. It's it's my antenna keeps going up and keeps quivering, and um, and they keep proving me right. So that's all I can <laughs> tell you. Uh, really quickly, let's talk about Atlanta for a second before we go. But um, I, I, I love what they did, and they got and so they, if they get Bogdanovich and that completely goes through, now you got. I mean, listen, defense, schmefense is what I always say. You can you can spread the floor around Trey at every position and really have a, a really good shooting around him. Uh, fun is the word that comes to mind. 
I mean, their roster is so insanely stacked right now. It's they have they're ten deep with either guys that are really good already or young prospects that are projected to be starters. So, like right now, Chris Dunn is their third string point guard. Yeah, because <laughs> they got Rondo and right. they have Trey Young already. And then at the two, they have Kevin Herter and Cam Reddish, who are both really good young prospects that project to be starters. Um, and then they have Gallinari in front of Hunter, and, and and they have Bogdanovich. Then they still have John Collins. They still have Clint Capella, who I think they're definitely going to get rid of or try to get rid of. And they drafted Inyeko Okongwu, who's going to be a great center. So they, there's a lot of work to be done for this team in the long term, I guess, but they could certainly play next year with all these guys and just have everybody play 25 minutes a night. Um, also, Brandon Goodwin is like someone that they like there too. And he, he's like the last guy on the roster. I don't even know how they get him minutes. And they still, they also have Tony Sal. I forgot about that. Oh, and yeah. Solomon Hill. Why the hell do they have, they have way too many players. I don't understand how this is going to work. So the whole point is that this team, they have every type of player that exists in the NBA at this point. There's like, I can't think of a single type of player they don't have. And there's going to be a, a bunch of moves coming soon. Um, I, you know, John Collins, I feel like they're just they're not going to keep him, especially because they just committed long term to Gallinari. Gallinari is really similar to John Collins, believe it or not, in the function that they use in a like they're both supposed to play the four and they're both pretty mediocre defenders. So get and rid so of Clip Capella and put John Collins at center, which is where he should be. Um, your defense You'll literally have no defenders in your lineup if you do that. Um, you you would be they they would literally have to score 125 a night if they wanted to really? do that. I, they, I have faith in John Collins as a as a guy who could protect the rim a little bit. You don't think so? I mean, he has the athleticism and the size to do it, but he doesn't have the footwork or the instincts so far to do it. Hmm. Um, you know, he's he's been maybe that comes along and maybe they maybe their coaching staff is really convinced that they're going to be able to change that. So possible but don't forget they draft they drafted okongwu and i think okongwu is ready to start right now um and if not he can but i think by the end of the season they're gonna see that he's probably already better than clint capella because clint capella is incredible incredibly overrated and i mean he is but he also could he also could be a really good fit for this team so i don't know i mean (laughs) from what i from what i heard they regretted the capella deal as soon as they made that deal i someone told me that a while ago and i was like i don't really i don't know if i believe it and then uh somebody who would who would probably know like they told me that again earlier this week and i was like oh okay i guess that really is true so apparently they realized they made a mistake right from the get-go and i think that okungwu pick really shows that but john collins is going to want 20 million plus a year probably 25 to 30 million a year i think he's going to want what gordon hayward just got and they have two creating they have two good but not elite wing creators now in their early 30s i guess bogdanovich is 28 29 or so so guys that you can get like one more good contract one good contract out of them for three or four years and then they're probably going to be done and then Cam Reddish, when he was in high school, people thought he was going to turn into a great three-level playmaker. It's possible that still is in the cards for him, and he had a good rookie season. So maybe that's the guy that kind of comes in in a few years when he's 24 and he turns into that three-level wing scorer that they need to win a championship. But I'm kind of looking at this team and I'm thinking, like, there's a lot of guys that aren't quite the player that you need 
around Trey Young and Oyeko Kungwu to win the title, but there's a ton of guys that fit around that guy. So I feel like this is a situation where they eventually flip a bunch of players for Bradley Beal or something like that. And I wouldn't be shocked if that's the kind of if that's the deal that they make. I wouldn't mind that. I'm not sure Okungwu is this. I'm not sure I'm as high as you are on him. Uh, I don't know if Clapella is really rated that high to be overrated necessarily, but uh, <laughs> they did it did allow them to get rid of um, Edmund Turner, which might have been worth it uh, or not. But maybe it was uh, DeAndre Hunter. I really like as well. Cam Reddish, I'm high on, too. I think he's going to be a really good player. So uh, they have a lot of pieces. You're right. And I suspect things are going to happen. Uh, I also suspect that if things don't go right in the first, you know, X amount of games, uh, they're going to they're going to move on and uh, and find someone else to lead them. Perhaps uh, that's going to be another thing to keep your eye on as far as coaching hot seat. Uh, but if they could figure this out and get a nice start to the season, then they could they could surprise a lot of people. I think with they ha- with, with with what they have, maybe not as a playoff team just yet, but um, certainly uh, it's they have a lot of a lot of pieces and a lot of uh, flexibility to play different ways. So I'm anxious to see. Uh, and also Deadman, who apparently is not always the you know the, the, another guy no, who maybe gone. I know, but getting rid of him, getting rid of Evan Turner, that might be For this sure. notion of okay, let's get guys who get along. I'm not saying I know anything about that, but I've you know, you've heard in the past about stuff. So nonetheless, uh, I think they're moving in the right direction. So that's why like Solomon Hill, he's a guy who's going to come in there and be like the great locker room guy. He won't care if he plays two minutes or you know, 20 minutes. Uh, those are the kind of, you know, Tony Snell probably be that guy too. And he's, those are the two guys you think are going to get, you know, the short end of the and stick. Ron, on playing and Ron, Rondo, I mean, Rondo will play, but like he's, you're bringing him there to set the culture for your team. Clearly. Yeah. But he'll still, then, he'll still throw a dime a minute, whatever it is. So he'll sure. be great. So, and well, he'll, he'll be the, he'll be the OG that really teaches all these guys how to play. He'll be the one that teaches Trey Young how to defend without dying. Um, and then they'll have Chris Dunn to actually execute it. Since yeah. Rondo's not going to be, able, you're not going to get Rondo to play defense 82 games a year. But hey, at least Chris Dunn will do it. Right. And Rondo did play good defense uh, for the Lakers, so let's give him credit for that. Uh, well, let's give you credit and let's give me credit as well for another great episode and another great uh, podcast. What do you say? We did it, buddy. We can, did it. Can you hear us patting ourselves in the back? That, that good <laughs> noise. So uh, thank you so much for uh, breaking it down for me. Awesome information, Jared. And to everybody listening, thank you so much for coming out here and, and spending some time with us. And don't forget, at B-Ball Breakdown, we're not a channel. We're a conversation. You in? Are you in, Jared? No, nah, not. Nah.